Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. It's a Friday night and you just hit play on your favorite whiny women's history podcast. Welcome to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two besties with breasties whine about women from history that you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have. And they're amazing and they inspire us to be even one iota of their greatness. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And if you couldn't tell, I'm a 90s baby. Where did you fall? Were you what? a back were you a backstreet boys fan or were you into I was NSYNC? An NSYNC fan. I actually never picked a side. I couldn't tell them apart. Because I didn't buy any of the albums. I just heard them My on the radio. I was a big NSYNC fan, so I just kinda like yeah. fell in line with that. I will say, um, even though I never bought any of the albums, you play one of those hit oh, songs. Everyone knows. You are my fire, historical desire. It's parody, so they can't sue me. Ha ha! Fuck you. Anyway, <laughs> when I when I went to Michigan with my girlfriends, um, it was for it was my for my friend Tierney's birthday. What's up, T? And she had a '90s playlist, dude. I I didn't buy any of those albums, but I knew all the words to all those songs. I couldn't even tell you who sang some of them, but I fucking knew the words. And um, yeah, that's just, uh, that's how big of a deal the radio was back then, especially the car radio. Oh, yeah. So all of our young listeners that are like, car radio? What? CDs? Radio? Not Bluetooth? And Spotify? And playlists? I still listen to the radio on occasion. Oh, my radio is working right now, so (laughs) I'm a slave to my Spotify playlist, and I won't pay for Spotify, so it's all shuffle all day. Every day I shuffle, shuffling, which is another reason I don't want to pay for Spotify. (laughs) I'll take the ads. I'll take the ads. I like the no ads. I would appreciate the no ads, but not enough to actually pay for it. Every time I listen to an ad, I feel kind of like a... um, I feel kind of spiteful, like, ha, you think this hurts me? You think you've won? Fuck you. You can't get to me. It's like when kids scream in my face and I'm like, oh, you think this bothers me? I'm deaf. It doesn't do shit anymore. (laughs) This is like the vacuum cleaner running. I don't even hear it. Anyway... What are we talking about? We're whining about women from we history. Are. Yes. Uh, Kelly, did did you pick our wine? Is that why this lovely bottle is sitting here that I neglected to open? Because I didn't know what the plan was and I neglected to ask? No, I did not pick a wine. Oh, okay. That can just never it, got moved off the table. Can it be this one? No, because I don't get Damn to drink it. tonight. Ah, fuck. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll pick a different one. Hold on. Okay. Entertain people. Kelly is picking a wine, picking a wine all the time. Gonna get drunk on my own, but Kelly's here, so it's not a problem. Ooh, Kelly's bending over looking at the wine. I don't know which ones are yours and which ones are mine. Just, it doesn't even matter. There's no blood going to my brain right now. Man, I wish you all could have seen the glory that was Kelly bent over looking at wine. I mean, that was like two of my favorite things in at once. <sighs> Welcome anyway, to ASMR, mommy. <laughs> I picked a red because Emily likes reds. I do like reds. I picked a yellowtail jammy red rue 
because it's Australian and it has a kangaroo on it. <gasps> Love it. Um, it says, in the small Australian town of Yenda, the Casella family has been making wine for generations. It is here that Yellowtail was created with a simple philosophy to make great wines for everyone to enjoy. This Yellowtail, Jammy Red Rue, is everything a great wine should be. Sweet, vibrant, and easy to drink with flavors of sweet red berries, vanilla, and chocolate. I also love also that off. it's a roux. Like they say jammy red brew. Yeah, kangaroo. No, I understand that. But I feel like you get to, you you have to earn the right to say roux. You either have to have a lot of contact and experience with kangaroos or you need to be born in Australia. Those are the only ways that you can just be like, oh, there's a roux over there. I see it. No, that, no that's like transatlantic. Yeah, the only was. the only thing I can say in an Australian accent is might. Yeah. And that's because you don't say mate. You say might. You say might. Like M-I-G-H-T, but you say it real quick. G'day, might. Gonna drink me here this wine. I tell you. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Well. I had minor surgery on my arm today, so they told me I'm not allowed to drink in case it causes me to bleed. So um, Emily's on her own tonight. You know, I still think that was just a strong suggestion instead of a direct doctor's order. Um, but you know what, Kelly? I'm, I'm going to respect your choices and what you choose to do or not do to your body. So it's fine. We're fine. So I'm going to cheers the glass. Cheers to Kelly having successful minor surgery Yay. and to it being minor. And to the end of my terrible Australian accent, Mike. Yes. <laughs> nice. Can't let it go. Holy shit. This is a jammy red roux. <laughs> I hope that's a good thing. No, it like I it's hard to describe, but when they say jammy, that's exactly what it is. It's very sweet and full and wet. It's wet on the palate. Um, Wet mouthfeel. Yeah, excellent. No, this is very good. It's kind of, um, I I feel like we've had some reds that are definitively summer reds, and we've had some that are definitively winter. This is like a late summer, early fall red. You can can get away with it in those transitional months. Hmm. I dig the crap out of this. Way to go, Yellow Yellowtail has good wine. Yeah. I feel like they have a reputation for being a little cheap. I'm like, no, but that shit's good. I also love the name, Jammy Red Rue. Makes me happy. All right. Well, Kelly, you are starting us off today. I am. Aren't you? I am. Oh, God. Too much. No. Too much. It's never too much. It's always too Until much. Until I climax on the podcast, it is never too much. And even then. It's too much. It's just a different podcast. <laughs> no. Kelly, you're supposed to be sex positive. I am sex positive. Just It doesn't need to be on our podcast. But it can be. <laughs> it doesn't need to be, but it totally can be. We don't get paid enough for that. Well... I think that was a challenge to all of you who are thinking about becoming patrons. Sign up for that shit. You might get a little more than you bargained for. (laughs) Anyways. All right. All right. So I am whining about Nieves Fernandez. Very excited. Um, We were told about this on our Instagram. 
someone sent us a TikTok. Um, oh my god, yes. Of a complete badass woman, and I'm very excited to cover it. So, Hosanna, thank you. You know who you are. Hosanna! I was um, going to make, I was going to like try to bring back what we say in Catholic Church. Hosanna unto the highest. Yeah, yeah that's it. There it is. You, dude, that's, that shit is like a song you can't get out of your head. You hear someone say it like, peace be with you. And also with you. Oh my God. I, oh, yeah. I didn't even consciously say that. I'm, yeah. I actually apologize. I actually don't want peace to be with you. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Honestly, like, it's funny because, like, I always joke about that with other people. Even when it's not peace be with you, but, like, when someone says something, something be with you, like, in my head, I'm always like, and also with you. May the force be with you. And, and also, also with you. you. Yeah. And we lift ourselves up to the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Nieves uh, was from the Philippines. There's not much known about her early life because history. <laughs> what what general age, or excuse, not age. World War Two. World War II? Okay. World War II era. So that's a little embarrassing that we she's, don't know. She's an adult as of World War II. Uh, yes. We're talking about the Japanese invasion of the Philippines. Oh, no. No. Yes. No. Yes. You know what? I told you my story was going to be a bit of a bummer. No, and I said, mine don't worry. No okay. Nazis. And you're like, no, mine doesn't have Nazis. It just has the, the Japanese. Japanese army during World War the II invading <laughs> the fucking Philippines. It's, it's a totally different brand of hor- horrifying. Okay. So Nevis had uh, previously owned a wholesale business as well as teaching until the Japanese invaded the Commonwealth of the Philippines in 1941. Um, Filipino people were held prisoners of war and uh, unfortunately a lot of them were tortured I'm not going to go into it because they did some pretty terrible, terrible things. This isn't that podcast. This isn't the torture porn podcast. Yeah, but there, there, there were quite a few things that they brought up. So when the Japanese arrived in the Philippines, they took away all possessions of the Filipinos um, and they allowed no one to own businesses. So that means Nieves just immediately lost her business and mm-hmm. no one was allowed to teach anything except what was improved, approved by the Imperial Japanese Army. Huh. Yeah. <coughs> Fire Nation, what? Um, in her hometown of Takloban, um, the Japanese were forcing business owners into submission by drenching them in scalding water. Oh, my God. And what Nieves said was, quote, when, when the Japanese came, no one could keep anything. They took everything they wanted. She didn't say Japanese, but I'm not going to use that slur. Oh, she was, okay. It's a shortened version. Yeah. No, nope, but I'm still no, not going to use you. it. Um, and so that was something she told reporters like after. Yeah, obviously she didn't say something like that in the middle of the invasion. So after the invasion, Nieves was primarily a school teacher because she couldn't really do much else, and her students would call her Miss Fernandez. Oh, um, and she was very, very protective of her students. She had a fierce mother motherly instinct, um, and that really came out when the Japanese were threatening to kill her students. Well, and she's being forced to teach the Whatever imperial want, Japanese yeah. curriculum, which is just, stri- I mean, it's straight up propaganda. So when the Japanese began threatening to kill her students, she turned from motherly school teacher to mother bear in a way only she could in that she became a stealthy lone assassin. Oh my God. She also began yes. to take 
in and look after um, women that were becoming very vulnerable targets to sexual assault and being taken for co- as comfort women by the Japanese. Um, and that was one of the biggest fears of women in yeah. the Philippines was being forcibly used as comfort women. And so she, uh, like once Nieves found like that they were doing that in her village, she was like, nope, I'm done. We're, we're done. Nope. Like, fuck the Japanese government. I'm done. R is Sorry. for revenge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Today is brought to you by the letter R, which stands for revenge. So she became what is known as the silent killer. <gasps> she would she would go alone and dressed in all black. She would set up ambushes in the jungle armed only with a makeshift shotgun, which she had made by herself out of a gas pipe and a bolo knife. Jesus Christ. For two and a half years, Nieves carried out these ambushes on her own by herself in the jungle. She would head into the jungle barefoot, taking out dozens of enemy troops by herself. There's a really famous photo of her by Stan uh, Stanley Troutman, if you want to look it up. So just Google yep. Nieves Fernandez, Stanley Troutman. And it is her demonstrating to an American soldier how she silently kills Japanese soldiers. She's basically like... Oh, God. She's like holding her bolo knife up to this American <laughs> soldier's like neck because she would just go up and like cut their carotid arteries and jugulars and they would die. Well, and then... Would that sever their windpipe so they couldn't alert other people? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Oh, man. Um, this is why you learn science right? and biology and you listen to your teachers. <laughs> so eventually her heroics um, inspired a following among the men in her village. Like they like found out what she was doing. And so she shifted from a school teacher and silent killer to a army training person and silent killer okay so i we don't like to dwell on the appearances of the women we cover because god knows old-timey newspapers do that plenty right but i just for anyone who can't look up a picture of her right now or if you haven't please do but i was kind of imagining a younger woman oh she's older she's like middle-aged yeah like, I I won't say she looks like an old lady, but she does not look like the kind of woman She's not you like think is 20s. going to fucking, yeah. like, cut your throat. She looks so small and meek and unassuming. And it's great. So it's just funny because, yeah, she's got this, like, little middle-aged, little, you know, kind of old lady face. And she's holding this guy by the scruff of his head. And has a knife to his throat with a gun slung on her back. And she's just so tiny. She She reminds me of my grandma. That's funny. (laughs) So like I said, she she was now shifting from teaching the alphabet to teaching combat. So she would train the men of her village in just kind of basic combat skills, which was like how to use knives. How to use knives, how to make shotguns from gas pipes that you would load with gunpowder and old nails, how to make make homemade grenades, Um, and they would also sometimes obtain Japanese weapons as they were killing these men, and then they had actual weapons instead of handmade ones that could probably backfire on them. Yeah. So she went from being called Miss Fernandez by her pupils to earning the title Captain Fernandez among the 110 guerrilla men that she commanded. Oh my God. Her small guerrilla army became so efficient and deadly that when the Americans showed up, they were absolutely flabbergasted that they were led by this tiny woman. She's so tiny. 
I mean, they were flabbergasted that she was led by a woman at all. But then, like, when yeah. they met her, they were like, shit, you're, like, you, you weren't what we were serious expecting. right now? Um, in fact, as far as we know, on the in the Philippines, she was the only female guerrilla commander during World War II. So can, that's can, known. Can I also just point out what a what a horrifying scenario this is? And I want everyone to just kind of think about like where you're living, what your life is like right now. All of a sudden, an invading army comes in and just starts like raping and killing your people, and you have to go from being a business owner, a teacher, um, computer, per- like whatever you do for your job. To being a guerrilla fighter and having to learn how to fight, how to defend yourself, how to kill another human being. Yeah. That, like, like you have to be, you suddenly have to become a soldier. Oh, yeah. And it, I, I just. Well, and it's, it's just and, insane and for, for she that she just to, took it up. She was like, well, no one else is helping these people, yeah. so I'm going to fucking do it. Well, and obviously there are people who volunteer for the military and, you know, choose that as their career path or that's their calling or their vocation right and good for them but I feel like it's a different experience when it comes knocking at your door yeah and it's no longer a choice it's a necessity like that just that just fucks me up that 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 whole idea has always made me very sad right it is it's it it it's one of those things that if it's never gonna if it never happens to you like yeah. It's hard to imagine. Well, and like you're imagining the, you know, present day, you know, the people in Afghanistan now that the Taliban have taken back over and so many people, particularly women, have lost their rights. Yeah. Uh, people fleeing Ukraine because Russia's marching in and, mur- and like straight up just murdering people. Like there, there are straight up war crime massacres going on. Oh, yeah. And so it's not like this doesn't happen today can't happen today and won't continue to happen and I just want to point that out like this is not a long ago thing this still happens this is still something people are living with and having a confront and having a deal with yeah this is just a a pasto example a pasto example. I like how you there's said that. a there's a podcast I listen to where whenever they cover a case from far away, they call it a pasto case, and I love that. I'm like, oh my god, what a nice way to say old timey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not saying oldie timey. So, Davis's guerrilla army became so efficient and or no, we already said that. Yep. <laughs> um, so the Japanese army grew so tired of her and her antics and her killing their men that they put out a 10,000 peso bounty on her head in hopes that one of her fellow like Filipino guerrillas would betray her. No one ever did. That is wild because that's another thing that extreme circumstances do. They can well, make people when they already took very, all your shit. They can make people very selfish and very desperate. Yeah. So throughout the war, Nevis and her 110 strong company would also liberate prisoners of war, sabotage supply lines, and conduct hundreds of raids on the Japanese Imperial Army. Toward the end of the war, and when the Americans would arrive on the island, um, the Americans didn't have as much to do as they thought they <laughs> Well, because like they were like, oh, we're going to come and we're going to like liberate the island of the Philippines. But by the time they got there, Nieves and most of her forces had liberated a ton of villages and like yeah. rescued a bunch of comfort women. And so the, the Americans are like, oh, we don't have to do as much as we thought we would. Well, and I love because... Because those stories aren't coming out. The Japanese don't want people to know what's going oh, on. Oh, absolutely not. Well, and the other thing is, you know, the... 
the allies have this experience of going to these Japanese occupied islands and it is, it's awful. It is a straight up nightmare because the Japanese have tunneled into the island. You can't get, it's hard to fight them. It's hard to find them. It's hard to, you know, liberate these islands. So they're expecting something very similar here, but, um, the home team has already gone through and been pushing them out. Yeah. How amazing is that? Right. Um, so I actually cut and pasted an entire article that I'm going to read. Oh. Even though it's kind of long. It's not that long, but it's a little long. Um, it is. It, it was written in the Associated Press in 1944, and it is the only surviving record of her heroics during World War II. Oh, my God. Like, on paper. So the, the title was... Schoolman led guerrillas on Leyte. So women tells how she helped gas pipe gang slay 200 Japanese. So this is October 26th, and it says delayed because I'm guessing it took a while to get from the island. So it says, a prim former school teacher, so far as known here, the only woman to fight two and a half years with Filipino guerrillas, told today how she commanded 110 natives who killed 200 Japanese with shotguns made from sections of gas pipe. That was when they called me Captain Nieves Fernandez, she said. Now I'm back to just Mrs. Fern- or Miss Fernandez. Oh. Paler than most Native women here. Uh, her first name, Nieves, is actually Spanish for the word snows. <gasps> Miss Fernandez was without shoes and was attired in a plain black frock as she conferred with the American officers. And she is 38 years old, quote unquote, at present. After teaching school at Talcloban, the Leyte capital recently occupied by American forces invading the Japanese-held Philippines. Ms. Fernandez said she developed a wholesale business of her own, but when the Japanese came, no one could do anything, no one could keep anything, they took everything they wanted, they had ways of persuading, like giving you scalding hot baths and freezing cold baths alternatively, with never a rest, never any food, and never any water except the soapy water in the baths. Working with the guerrillas, Miss Fernandez rounded up Native men to resist the Japanese. These men, she said, had three American rifles between them. The rest they made themselves out of gas pipes. They loaded them with gunpowder and nails. U.S. intelligence officers said the Japanese offered a 10,000 peso reward for her head. She was wounded once, and there's a bullet scar on her right forearm. Uh, Many Filipinos are experts at making effective guns out of gas pipes. The weapons are as deadly as any first-rate shotgun. The homemade guns are called latongs in the Visayan dialect of the central Philippines and Paltic in the Tagalong dialect of the Manila area. That's kind of neat. That is amazing. Also, um, that island name, I, I I don't know if this is how you pronounce it. But in the audiobook about the USS Indianapolis, mm-hmm. they kept saying lady, like lay tea. Isn't that not how I said it? L- you said lay tay. Oh, well, it's I think it's lay tea. So. I know. I, I don't know. And that's why I'm not, I'm not contradicting you. But I was like, why does that sound kind, kind of, of familiar? Of, uh, no. That was the island that the USS Indianapolis was on its way to when it got hit by a yep. Japanese sub and sunk. Yep. I was like, why does that sound familiar? This is that same area. Yeah. So, Remedio Fallas, who was a former comfort woman, wrote a book in her later years called The Hidden Battle of Leyte, or Leyte, whatever it is. The picture diary of a girl taken by the Japanese military. And she wrote about how the guerrillas saved many young women um, from what the Japanese were about to do to them. And she vividly recounted how the guerrillas would wipe out the Japanese troops stationed in various villages. I thought that was kind of neat that, like, a woman wrote a book about it and was like, hey... 
these people were great. Well, I, I also think that's wonderful that I, I feel like the sexual abuse in the in the in the Pacific theater is not always talked about. Oh, it was terrible. Um, it was really, I mean, beyond words. And Kelly, I do, I do appreciate the fact that you're using the term comfort women because you know other terms can be triggering. But I want to be very clear. They're they're rape victims. Well, I mean, that's what they're yeah. that's what they're no. actually called. And I, I understand that, but I want to be very I, clear well, about what's I happening said to them. They were forcibly taken yes. as comfort women. Um, but good for her for being able to like take back her voice yeah, and tell her story and to talk about it and to not let this get, not, not to let this be forgotten. Right. So Nieves would go on to be honorably discharged from service on May 31st, 1945 with the rank of sergeant. Um, and that's kind of all we know about her. She died in somewhere between 1996 and 1997 at the age of 89- to 91 no one's quite sure you know what else i love um there's this really gross trend um among certain certain members of the gentlemanly population of taking on asian wives or seeking out wives from east asian cultures because they're quote-unquote real women aka submissive they're going to be like your bang mommy uh and you have this woman from the Philippines, who is straight up like, oh, hell no, we are not doing this. I will murder your fucking ass before we do this. Right. <laughs> and it just, I feel like that is a story that's a side of the story and the narrative that we do not get very often. You know, how the the populations of these places that are being invaded by the Japanese, what, what they're going through. Oh yeah. What they're doing and what they're doing to fight back. Cause especially for us growing up in the United States, there's very much this, like the Americans came in and saved the day and we're heroes. And I don't want to discount the American army good on them, but I feel like this gets lost. You know, the, these people didn't just roll over. Yeah. These people didn't just allow themselves to no. be invaded. They fucking fought back. They were not, and they and so many of them died trying. And what an incredible story. And why do we not know more about her? Right. Where's her memoir? I know, it's sad that like, we don't even really know when she died. I demand her fucking Although memoir. Although may- maybe she was just like, you know what, I'm done. I'm stepping out of the light. I just want to go back to living a quiet life. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Uh, those sisters, those like, were they Swedish? Oh, Truce the, and... Um, oh, shit. Was it Freddie? Yeah, Freddie and Truce Overstein. Yes, that's it. Yeah, they were, um, I think they were Swedish. They were these young girls where the Nazis invaded oh, and they began died. killing Nazis as a way of defending their country and the people, you know, their countrymen. And they didn't, they didn't like it. They didn't, this wasn't fun. This wasn't some weird fantasy they were living out. And once it was over, they just wanted to, they're like, this is over. Yeah. And we're not going to talk about it and we're going to move on. And we, we, like, they're like, we both did a lot of things that we didn't want to do, but we had to. Right. And we take no pleasure in it. And I really feel like that's probably where she was coming from. She's like, I just want to go back to being a teacher. I want to run my business. I want to teach my kids. And these fuckers came in and right. started killing and raping everyone. And I was just like, Mm-mm. 
No, thank you, friend. Not in my fucking classroom. <laughs> hey, guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. That is an incredible story. Thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. It's your turn now. Oh, crap. Um, so... So the lady I am covering is also from the general World War II era. I got like a little bookmark pre and post. No. Yep. Uh, so today I am covering Samira Musa, also known as the mother of atomic energy. <laughs> that was terrible. I know, but it's but so you, funny. But you, know, you know, like cartoons, whenever there's something radioactive, it does that humming thing. Yeah, it's the Doppler. Technically, Shit, is it? Technically, the Doppler effect is like the sound, like when something like goes by, is coming you. closer versus farther away yeah. because the sound waves and become that's, that's elongated. That's always what it reminds me of. Though. Oh, okay. like I don't know if that's actually what it is because I'm pretty sure radioactive things don't actually make noise unless you have a Geiger counter. Yeah, I was. But that's say. what it like. Your thing that reminds me of in the Big Bang Theory when Sheldon's like wearing a shirt and he the people are like, "What are you?" and he's like, "Near." <laughs> He's like, I'm the Doppler effect. Fucking A. So yeah. No, I'm pretty made me think about it. I'm pretty sure radioactive humming is something that they add in cartoons. Like So you know it's radioactive. Explosions and gun sounds and space movies. But yeah, the way you did it just made me think of the Doppler. It does very much no, you're absolutely right. And we all learned something a little new or were reminded of something that was long dormant Mm -hmm. from science class. Miss Fernandez is very disappointed in you right now. (laughs) Damn it. So Humanity's relationship with radiation is complicated. Let's put it that way. The same technology that can detect broken bones and treat cancer can also wipe out entire cities and eat away at victims from the inside out. Today, we're going to talk about a woman who was an early pioneer for radiological technology and was forced to confront its abilities to heal and to destroy. Bum, bum, bum. What's that effect called, Kelly? Dramatic. <laughs> I was going to say obnoxious. Thank you. The, I like it dramatic. It is literally better. the dramatic effect. <laughs> so Samira Musa was born in El Garbia, Egypt. Very sorry. I know I pronounced that incorrectly. On March 3rd, 1917. So she's a Pisces, like us. 
So, you know, she's like really chill and creative and also very empathetic and kind and, you know, maybe likes wine a little too much, but that's all right. Her father was a political activist, uh, but we really don't know much about her mother, likely due to the fact that she died of cancer when Samira was very young. I know. She's like a Disney princess, dead mom, immediately. Her death significantly impacted Samira and would drive much of her motivations and goals as an adult. So I'm not just throwing that out there to be like, hey, everyone be sad. Like, it, it comes back. Right. So Samira's father was a allegedly a famous political activist. I couldn't find his name or any info on him, not even on Wikipedia. So I, I think it was like, you know, local, little local hero. And following his wife's death, he moved with his daughter to Cairo, where he opened up a hotel. And he clearly valued education and enrolled Samira in the Al Shock Primary School. And this is really cool because the school was associated with notable Egyptian feminist Nabawe or oh shit. Nabaw this is Nabawia Musa. N-A-B-A-W-Y-A. I kept wanting to like an add an extra A in there. Uh, so Samira is like well on her way to becoming a strong independent gal and like a straight up feminist, which is amazing. And maybe we will co- cover Nabawia in the future. And I will practice that name a lot better. <laughs> so Samira was an excellent student and had a serious interest in science. Miss Fernandez's favorite pupil. She considered a career in engineering and likely would have totally fucking rocked it. But she decided to pr- pursue radiology at Cairo University. And she may have been inspired by radiation's potential for treating cancer. Because remember, her mother died of cancer. Mm. And that severely influenced the rest of her life. Hmm. So I love that she could have been an engineer. She's like, "Mm, yeah, but I really want to keep people from losing their moms to cancer. So let's do this. Samira researched the effects of x-ray radiation on different materials. And in 1939, she graduated with her bachelor's in radiology. Didn't know that was a thing. And earned first class honors. Especially at this time. Like, obviously radioactive materials are known they're used they're studied a la the radium girls like this has been going on but i didn't know that you could get a bachelor's in radiology i thought it would be like a bachelor's in science with an emphasis on radioactive materials and you have to wear a hazmat suit to your your graduation (laughs) they put the they put the little um what is it the pestle or no the the mortar What, what do they call the little graduation hats there's a special name for it. I don't think it's a mortar or a pestle. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I know it's not either of those. I was just watching Shit's Creek and they talked about it and I cannot remember. It's a mortarboard hat. Mortarboard. Okay. I was I was in the general ballpark. I'm like a mortar and pestle is what you use to like grinder. Which is why I was so confused. Also, I'm a little embarrassed because mortarboard pestle. <laughs> mortarboard hat? Motorboard? Like, come on, it's so it's sexy. Mortar. No, I know, but it sounds like motorboard. So it sounds sexy. And why do I not remember that? I'll never forget it now. It's committed to memory. So she's in a little radioactive hazmat suit with her motorboard pestle hat. <laughs> and graduating with a bachelor's in radiology, and she earns first class honors. Then she went on to earn her fucking PhD in atomic radiation. She also wrote several articles on the history of atoms, the theory behind nuclear energy, and a bunch of other cool atomic nerd stuff. 
She's like peak atomic nerd. Her brilliance did not go unnoticed. The faculty dean, Dr. Mustafa Musharafa, uh, hired Samira as a faculty lecturer, and she would go on to be an assistant professor. So, Samira's doing a lot of fucking stuff right now. And it's been a while since we've had a bitch and bullet list. So, here we go. So, all of these amazing accomplishments not only made her a straight-up radioactive witch in my eye, but they also made her the first assistant professor at Cairo University. First woman to hold a university post at Cairo University. First woman to earn her PhD in atomic radiation from Cairo University. And the the first woman who earned her doctorate at Cairo University did so just before Samira, like just a few years. So she's right in there. Yeah. Also, the first woman to earn her PhD in atomic radiation. And I think that might have been period. Maybe. Like... Women were not studying atomic radiation because they weren't really being allowed to much. So as if she's not enough of a badass in her free time, which I can't imagine is something she has much of, Samira was volunteering at hospitals to help cancer patients because she's a goddamn saint and she just wants to heal the world with radiation and I love her. It can happen. Radiation can be used for good. It's a tool. We know this. It's to be used very responsibly though. Don't, don't lick it. Da, hey, hey, Jimmy. Don't, Stop it. Get that I, said radi- don't, I said don't lick it. Get that radiation out of your mouth right fucking now, mister. And you, get it out of your pocket. That's also dangerous. I will tell your mother, do not make me call your mother at right. work. You know she doesn't like it when I call her about you sucking on radioactive materials. So Samira had a very cooperative mindset. Throughout her studies and professorships, she studied abroad and encouraged her students to do the same. She felt that working together and on a global scale could not only help advance humanity, but create peace. Like, hey, maybe if we all like work together and see we have more in common than we think and be exposed to each other's different cultural identities and feels and, you know, things will just be more chill and we'll be less divided and hate each other a little less. Such a novel concept. Samira believed in the power of nuclear medicine and its applications for treating cancer. It's likely that she was motivated by the laws of her mother. And she was, she said, quote, I'll make nuclear treatment of cancer as available as cheap as aspirin. She's like, this can happen. We, we can make this work. If we all get together, we can do this. Yeah. And I want to be very specific. If you're looking into her, this is not a direct quote, a bunch of different variations of this appear at the, but all over the place, but this is the point. She's like, I want cancer treatment to be as available as aspirin, as cheap and available. It shouldn't just be if you're super rich. It should be accessible and it should be effective, which, my God, Samira, I love you. So as part of her research, Samira created a formula that split copper atoms and by splitting the atoms of cheaper metals like copper, nuclear technology could be more affordable which is something I learned, which I thought was interesting. However, this also paved the way for more a more affordable nuclear bomb. We're all, all those, made those number crunchers in various governments very happy. So I had a real, lot of difficulty nailing down a timeline for Samira and like what she did when, but just based on the times that she is alive, we do know she was alive to witness both of the atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan. And it's something I can't imagine she was okay with 
because she's very much about the positive, the healing, the life-giving and extending effects of radiation versus the destructive side of the coin. And really using nuclear technology for this kind of destruction went against everything she'd been trying to accomplish. So I can just only imagine her reaction to this. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine her emotional reaction, but her practical reaction was that she organized the Atomic Energy for Peace Conference in England. So she invited a bunch of prominent scientists from all over the globe, and the idea was to join together under the banner of Atomic Energy for Peace and come up with ways that the world could work together to regulate nuclear technology so it could be developed and used safely. It wasn't like, no, we can't touch this anymore. It's like, no, we need to use this responsibly because obviously... This is a fuck ton of power. Yeah. And mm, maybe not anyone should just be able to wield it and like wipe out entire cities of people. So this was all the more impressive because those who were in the know about nuclear technology were primarily government organizations. Because remember, everyone's trying to like develop nuclear technology and use it in war. And we were just the first people to drop a nuclear bomb on someone else. Twice. Yep. So naturally, she caught the attention of the scientific community outside Egypt, and she received a scholarship from the Fulbright Atomic Program, which allowed her to visit atomic research facilities at the University of California, Berkeley. Never heard of it. She even got permission to visit secret U.S. atomic facilities, which is a huge fucking deal. Yeah. This rubbed plenty of people the wrong way. Um because she was the first person of color to ever do this, to ever be allowed in these places. But the U.S. seemed pretty keen on tapping into her genius. Yay. I mean, they were they were snatching up Nazi Everyone, scientists yeah. left and right. Operation Paperclip, man. The U.S. was not picky about their scientists. At least Samira. Like, like Samira is a good person. She's intelligent, and she seems to have a moral compass. She's, she's like, hey, maybe we can use radioactive energy and nuclear technology for good. Right. And people are just mad because she's not white. Oh, but the super white Nazi over here, he's fine. He's, he'll get us to the moon. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Um... So the U.S. government offered her several positions that would require her to move to the United States, and they said they would even grant her U.S. citizenship. They're like, we're going to throw the doors open for you, lay out the red carpet, just come here and lend us your knowledge. But she always turned these offers down, saying, Egypt, my dear homeland, is waiting for me. Unfortunately, she would never see Egypt again. Yeah, worried about that. On August 5th, 1952, which is the day I was writing this shit, Samira was getting ready to return home. However, shortly before her trip home, she was invited to visit a nuclear plant in California. A driver picked her up and off they went. And while driving on a cliffside road, allegedly another car suddenly appeared and pushed her car off the cliff. I only found that mentioned in one place. Um, in most places, it's written that the car just suddenly plummeted 40 feet or like there aren't a ton of details. And I think that's because the circumstances surrounding this event are very murky even today. But what we do know Sounds is that sketchy as the, fuck. No, it is incredibly sketchy. So the car plummeted 40 feet, killing Samira instantly. And she was only 35 years old. She's doing all of this stuff. She's only 35 yeah, right she's now. Shit done. Holy crap. 
I am, it is a discredit to the world that she is not still with us right now. That is straight up bullshit. Yeah, it is. Whoever planned this, I hope their insides just fell out of their asshole. But they didn't die. They just have to like drag them around forever. And they're going to live forever. (laughs) The weird thing was, though, that the driver of the car was never found. Mm, not that not that he survived it's that he was never found i mean like not even her body she was just still in the car um they never found the driver's body or any so that's um weird makes me think he just like yeeted out of the car yeah like he may have been the one to kill her like someone got to him paid him and he just well this gets weirder because allegedly the plant that was she was going to visit had no record of inviting her. Yeah, exactly. So the driver was just. Yeah. So the general mystery surrounding Samira's death has led many to believe that she was assassinated due to her work in nuclear technology and her attempts to get regulated. One of the prevailing theories, and this is a theory because there were I mean, plenty no one of, knows yeah no one knows there were plenty of people who had a vested interest in making sure she was not around anymore but one of the prevailing theories is that the Mossad which is the Israeli intelligence agency carried out the assassination there's nothing to con- conclusive to even determine that it was murder or an accident other than the general sketchiness of the entire situation I actually had a lot of I, I had a hard time finding details about this um everywhere I read it was like oh the car plummeted 40 feet and it was like super sketch and I'm like okay but like why was it super sketch like those California cliff roads are no joke and I did find this one source that went into more detail again who knows uh but it's even super sketch but it's just it's just fucking tragic um she was returned to Egypt and buried which just fucking breaks my heart so even though Samira Musa's life was cut tragically short by some means her legacy lives on not only as a pioneering woman in nuclear technology as a woman in the stem field but also as a representative of the power both good and bad of nuclear technology and our responsibility as the wielders of that technology to use it for good. Aww. So yeah, that is the unfortunately tragically short story of Samira Musa. That was beautiful. Thank you. She did so much. I like when I got to the part and she was only 35, I was like, shut the front door. I'm 31. I haven't done shit. <laughs> yeah. Let alone figure out how to like split copper atoms to make cheaper nuclear technology. Like <sighs> It's just, it just, it's so sad because I just keep imagining what she could have done had she, given the chance. had she lived longer and just how much better the world would be if more people like her were there. Not only people who were like, Hey, maybe we don't wield this uber destructive power against each other, but someone who understands how it works and can develop it for good. Right. You know, and just... But yeah, that is Samira Musa, the mother of atomic energy. Ow. Oh, God. <laughs> I was going to clap, and I just hit the mic. Bitch slapped your mic. 
So Kelly, on that super depressing note, which again, how was your story slightly less depressing than mine? My person lived? Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And she took a bunch of people <laughs> she out. Bunch of people she took her. a bunch of people out. Like she, she died of old age and took a bunch of people out with her. Right. I love that. It's not often that uh, the World War II story, though, gets trumped for the saddest. <laughs> yeah. So, Kelly, what are you thankful for uh, on I'm, that super bummerific note? Well, I started my practicum last week, and I'm just, I'm really thankful for everyone there. They were all very nice and welcoming. That's awesome. It was, it was a good time. I know that you were kind of having the whole, like, starting a new thing I mean, anxiety, well, which is like totally starting natural. a new job and, you yeah. know. Which is completely understandable, and I'm glad to hear it's going so well. Yeah. I mean, I was only there three days, but it was it was nice. Aww. What are you thankful for? Crap. What I had something for this. Um, You know what? This is going to sound really shallow, especially compared to yours, but uh, a drug, a local drugstore was having this big-ass sidewalk sale. They have it every year. Uh, so my friend Jory came over. What's up, Jory, friend of the podcast? Uh, and we walked there. And I got a bunch of fake flowers and plants because I've been I've been wanting to do a floral arrangement. My mom has this antique like milk can, and I cannot remember if it's from her dad's farm because her dad, my grandfather, had a dairy farm for a period of time. Hmm. But it's at least representative of that. So I wanted to use that to like make a floral arrangement for decorative purposes. Oh, so she gave it to you? Well, yeah, she she's agreed to give it to me. <laughs> but fake flowers are really expensive. Yeah, they are. Like, stupidly so. It's insane. And it Especially if you want, like, nice-looking ones and not, like, the yeah. shitty ones that are very obviously fake. So I've been having kind of a hard time with that. So they had a ton there. And uh, by the time Jory and I got done picking across the tables in the sidewalk sale, they dropped the prices of everything to $1 each. So I bought what turned out to be $60 worth of crap. Uh, and I bought it for six. Yeah, and I got a good. really nice walk out of it because we walked there and back. And that was just, I don't know, it was fun to hang out with Jory. It was fun to like pick through all the fun, you know, flowers and stuff. And uh, I got some exercise. Yeah, it sounds like a good so there time. there we go. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Kelly. Oh, wait. No, you already said what yeah, you were thankful for. First. I'm sorry. Shit. Well, thank you. We are also thankful for you and for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory. Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find all the links to where you can listen to us as well as all of our merch, which is awesome. You can also join us for as little as $1 on Patreon where you can get a bunch of bonus content. Do it. Also, we just had a new merch design drop today. Yeah. So get on that shit. Inspired by the Sweethearts of Rhythm, the sweet interracial girl band who stole a school bus and went on tour and were amazing. Uh, uh, And they were described as a bevy of lipstick radicals. Which is like, that that is all I want to be. That is all I want to be forever. I want to just be among a group of people that everyone's like, look at that bevy of lipstick radicals. And I'm just going to be like, you bet your ass. (laughs) Also, raise five stars wherever you listen if you're into this kind of crazy, chaotic, wine, wine fueled content. 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye.